It's a relatively simple model. It's just one that no one else is doing. Most people have never heard of real estate syndications either. So we have to do a lot of educating our audience. What is a real estate syndication? How does it work? What are the pros? What are the cons? What are the risks? You're listening to The Life & Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families, and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, hey, everyone. Annie Dickerson here. And on behalf of Julie Lamb, Susan Elliott, and everybody else on the Good Egg Investments team, I'm thrilled to welcome you to another episode of the Life and Money Show. Today, we've got a very special guest for you, Brian Davis of Spark rental. And you're going to hear what an amazing model that Brian has built for his business. I mean, he really didn't start out to have investors invest alongside him. He really started out much as we did really to help people to understand how to invest in real estate. And you'll hear him talk about his story with how he got started out in real estate before he started Spark Rental. And it was much like it reminded me a lot of how I got my start in real estate too. In fact, as I'm recording this, it's summer of 2023. And about six, seven years ago was, I mean, I'd been investing in real estate for a long time before that, but kind of on the side. And so it wasn't until about six years ago or so that I really got serious about real estate investing. And I still remember that summer, I wasn't even trying to get into real estate so much as I was, I'd committed to helping my husband, who's a real estate agent, to build up his website for his business. And so I was actually running all around the Bay Area that summer. I was working my full-time job, but in between meetings and on my lunch break, I would be driving to different neighborhoods in Oakland and Berkeley and taking photos and videos. It was my first foray into real content marketing. And so I was trying to create these neighborhood pages and it was such a busy summer, but I had such a great time. And then after that website launched, I discovered that his passion was to help others to invest in real estate, just as we'd been doing a lot of house hacking up until that point. And so in the process of learning about real estate investing, I fell into that rabbit hole and it was all that I could do. Every time I walked the dog or I was in the car, I was always listening to real estate investing podcasts. I was reading real estate investing blog posts and getting into the forums and articles and all this stuff. And I still remember that first year I was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to focus on this. And we decided to sell one of our properties in Washington, DC, a duplex that we had purchased many years prior. We were going to sell that duplex and do our first 1031 exchange. So we're going to trade it for some other rental properties. And we settled on Huntsville, Alabama at the time as the market of choice. So we traded one duplex for four fourplexes. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So one duplex, two units for four fourplexes, 16 units total. And so the reason this is relevant for this conversation and for Brian's story is because all of a sudden I went from a duplex to 16 units and the units were in, let's say kind of C-class neighborhoods. So definitely not the top tier and not the kind of nicer neighborhoods. Although one of them, a couple of the fourplexes were in a more of a residential area 
two other of the fourplexes were in more of a commercial area and definitely what we would call an up and coming neighborhood, right? And so definitely C-class neighborhood. And I didn't know anything about those types of properties. And as Brian will mention on this show, you really need a very special and specific skill set because there's a lot of things that you wouldn't expect to come up with those properties. And so I didn't know. I had no idea. I was just lured by the cash flow on paper but ran into a lot of different things like theft and vandalism, things that I had never run into before with house hacking. But you know what? That's how you learn. And so that's how I learned. And you'll hear in this conversation, that's a big part of Brian's journey as well. He started off similarly with a portfolio of about a dozen properties that he had acquired. And then he went from there And he learned a ton of different lessons from that. And then along the way, just as I did, he discovered passive real estate investing. Once he discovered that, he realized, oh my gosh, this is the ticket. And that's why Julie and I and the rest of the Good Egg Investments team were so passionate about spreading the word about passive real estate investing is because there's so many people out there still who have no idea that this is even an option for investing in real estate. They figure, if I want to invest in real estate, I have to put in the work. I have to be a landlord. I have to have a lot of capital. I have to do a lot of work. And in fact, these days, that's just not the case. And so with passive real estate investing, real estate crowdfunding, there's opportunities for both accredited and non-accredited investors to get into real estate and to do so without having to do any of the work but getting great returns. And I've invested now at this point, I've now sold off all of my rental properties and I've now reinvested all of that capital passively into real estate syndications. And so what Brian will talk about with what he's done with Spark Rental is he and his partner have really created a unique model where you as an investor can invest as little as $5,000 alongside him and this real estate club that he's created through his Spark Rental community. So it's really a fascinating model. And if you've wanted to dip your toes in to passive real estate investing and you don't have 25000 or 50000 to invest, you just want to try it out, this might just be the ticket for you. So Before we dive in, I just want to let you know if you are interested in investing alongside us at Good Egg Investments, you can find all of our current and upcoming opportunities on our website at goodegginvestments.com slash deals. And if you're in the process of vetting us and potentially other syndicators and you want to know what our track record is, what our experience is, and what our projected versus actual returns are, to date we've done 40 syndication deals and we've successfully exited 20 of those. So We've put all of that information into one tidy place so that you don't have to dig for that due diligence. You can find it all of our track record and our case studies all in one place. And to find that, you can go to goodegginvestments.com slash track record. All right. With that, let's dive into our conversation with Brian Davis. (music) 
Brian, welcome to the show. How are you? I am doing great, Annie. Thank you so much for having me on here. I'm excited about this. I'm thrilled to have you here. Now, Brian, I know we first talked not long ago, but I remember being instantly impressed by your energy, your experience, and your passion, especially for real estate. And I know that you're not only just a, a real estate investor yourself, but you're also a personal finance writer for publications like Inman and US News and World Report. And you're also the founder of Spark Rental, where you help others get into real estate investing. We're definitely going to talk about and dive into that. But before we do so, I always like to go back earlier in the story because I find that there's so much that we can learn from hearing about people's journeys. And so take us back to the time that you first discovered that you had a passion for finance and real estate and tell us because your business is Spark Rental. Tell us what sparked that interest for you. <laughs> <laughs> like what you did there. <laughs> I didn't always start out with a passion for finance or real estate. I fell into it totally by accident, which is what happens to so many of us out of college, right? We fall into something by accident. And then from there, you can kind of meander your way and hopefully to higher ground where you do find something that you're passionate about. I was lucky to land in this space because I did develop a passion for it. So what happened... I graduated college, had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. What did and you study? Psychology and criminal justice. I was a double oh major. And <gasps> neither no one way. of them is very useful <laughs> in the no real way. world. I studied psychology. Fun fact, I did a, an internship one summer at the FBI. So oh, I wow. had a criminal psychology interest too. In my 20-year-old self, that's what I kind of envisioned. Totally. <laughs> Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Obviously, that didn't happen. But I love that you did that. I've actually never met anyone who did that in real life. So that's awesome. Hey, there you go. Got to shoot M4s. And our offices were in Hogan's Alley, which is the fake setup. Yeah, the training arena, right? Training. Yeah, it was pretty cool. That's so much fun. I graduated college. I was 22. No idea what I wanted to do with my life. My stepdad was friends with a guy who owned a subprime mortgage lending business, which in 2003, that was all the rage, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you remember. And I just had an informational interview with this guy just to try to figure out what the hell people did at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, right? right? Because when you're a kid and you're growing up, you hear about like five different career options, like firefighter, mm -hmm. policeman, teacher, yep. maybe a business person, but you don't right. really know what people Nobody are doing. Nobody knows what that is. Yeah. Right. So, so I was trying to do these informational interviews with my parents' friends and just figure out what people actually did. Because I didn't know. So this guy had a mortgage lending business and he offered me a summer internship and I didn't know what else to do. So I just said yes. And it turned out that they didn't actually need another loan officer or mortgage processor. What they really needed, the two guys who owned the business on the side did some hard money lending. They lent short-term purchase rehab loans to flippers and other real estate investors. And they really needed someone to handle those hard money loans for their private money side business, separate from this larger nationwide mortgage lending company. So I just fell into that and started working with real estate investors from the lending side. And I'm watching all these investors make money hand over fist, right? Because this is early to mid aughts. Yep. <laughs> so everyone's making money in real estate. It's a big party. <laughs> I'm yep, like, yep. I could do this too. <laughs> <laughs> You're like this? I want to get into this thing. <laughs> exactly. So I was living on a very small amount of my income at the time. So I saved up money pretty quickly, just started plowing all of my savings into smart. rental properties. Well, uh, <laughs> smart. Well, the timing, but... 
Right. So everyone knows how this story ends, right? Yes. I mean, 2008 it's came. that like you were in your 20s and you had the foresight to notice that, hey, there's this bigger thing. I want to be part of this thing. And you had the discipline to save up your money so that you could be part of it. Now, the force is outside of your control. That's outside of your control. But the fact that you knew to be part of this, I think that's very smart for somebody in your 20s. On the big picture side, I mean, what I realized, and this is before the fire movement, right? This is like the mid-aughts. Mm -hmm. So it occurred to me that if you have enough rental income, you don't have to work, right? I mean, you can live off the rental income. On the big picture, I had kind of the right idea. But on the tactical level, I mean, I made the worst investments <laughs> you could possibly make. I was so young and arrogant that I didn't go out and get coaching or mentoring or senior partners, any of that stuff. I was like, I'm smart. I can figure this out on my own. So I didn't even learn tuition how to... in a different way. I mean, <laughs> well, yes, yes. So I lost my shirt in the crash, of course. And a lot of people left real estate at that point. That becomes losses at that point. That really is just a loss. Like you said, I considered tuition, right? It was the cost of education. So at that time, like how many properties did you have and where were you based and where were you investing? Yeah. So I was based in Baltimore, Maryland. It's where I grew up. And I was buying properties in the lowest end neighborhoods which it's not that there's anything inherently wrong with that, but that's a very specific niche. And it's hard to make money in that niche if you don't have that special like niche skill set to do it. Because there are a lot of hidden costs that don't appear on paper necessarily. Until you've invested in neighborhoods like that, you're just not going to be aware of those costs. You have much higher turnover rates, for example, and turnovers are really where most of the work and expenses of being a landlord lie, and, you know, as you know. So that doesn't show up on paper, right? That doesn't show up in like the vacancy yep. rate figure. Because even if you can churn those over and refill them somewhat quickly, those turnovers are still really expensive. You're still running out there and you have to repaint the units and yep. often recarpet the units. This is a bit of a generalization, but it was my experience that lower income renters are really hard on properties. Most of them had the mentality that they weren't getting their security deposit back anyway. Right. So, right. I mean, they abused the hell out of my properties. Mm -hmm. Until you have done that type of investing, you just don't know. Yeah. Again, these are like hidden... it's very alluring, right? Because when you're running the numbers, often the cash flow can look substantially higher for those lower end properties. So you're like, oh yeah, I want all this cash flow. And then you get in there and it's a different story. Well, exactly. In my 20s, I had all these narratives going on in my house. Oh, you know, I'm gonna buy into these properties and these lower end neighborhoods, I'm gonna renovate them and make them really nice and make these, you know, areas a better place to live. And I make all this great cash flow while I do it. Because mm -hmm. the properties are so cheap individually, I can buy a bunch of different properties in different neighborhoods and diversify. So all these stories that you tell yourself, and in retrospect, that was all totally wrong. <laughs> I had it all wrong. <laughs> but I didn't know what I was doing. I wish that I had the humility to get some help. <laughs> so, you well, know, I think even the gurus and the mentors in that time leading up to the crash, they probably would have told you to do a lot of the same thing. I mean, maybe they would have steered you away from some of the tougher neighborhoods, but I don't think a lot of people knew what was coming. Okay. So the crash happens. So you <laughs> lost your shirt, you mentioned. And so how many properties did you have at that point? I think I had 12 at that point, 12, 13. Wow. That's well, a, it sounds that's more impressive than it was. Portfolio. Again, these are lower end properties. So it's not like having 12 nice B plus, A minus sure. yeah, rental yeah. properties. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but still, and those were single family homes? Single family so homes. The, yeah. So that's like 12 
separate transactions. That's like you went through multiple transactions. It wasn't like one 12 unit building. And so, yeah, that's a substantial portfolio. Yeah. Well, I look back on it and I just have to laugh because I, yeah. I did because I did so much wrong and I lost so much. We money. all did stupid but, things in our twenties. Don't worry. And you know, part of the problem too is that I bought them too quickly. I bought most mm. of those properties over the course of like eighteen months, so I didn't actually have a chance to learn from any of those mistakes. You know, I've been I just, there. Yeah. So when you buy too quickly, you're not learning anything, right? Yeah. You're just out there running on the hamster wheel and buying stuff, showing so those, the world. Look at me. Look right. what I've built. Look what I can do. I was Look how successful totally I am. that person. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I think to your point, a lot of real estate investors do that in the very beginning. You know, they either go that direction or they go the total opposite direction and have right. the analysis paralysis and don't buy yes. anything. Right. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the crash happened. And not only did I start losing money every month on the rental properties, but I also lost all of my day job income. Because no one was doing hard money loans anymore, right? No one was flipping uh, properties anymore. So all of a sudden, the income I was earning, because I was on commission at that point with these hard money loans. So that all dried up too. So I had to go out and find a totally different job. Went out and I found a job with an e-commerce company. They were selling legal forms and other services for mom and pop landlords. It turned out that that experience that I had as a landlord, as a real estate investor, even though I was at a low place with it, if you will... That experience still helped me land that next job in sort of a parallel career track or an alternative career track, still kind of within real estate, but very different than being on the financing and lending side of things. That was great. It was a 100% remote job, which my, wow, I was you dating. You were way ahead of your time. <laughs> I was ahead of the curve on that one. You know, it was fun. I was dating a travel nurse at the time, and she had been living in Baltimore for about a year and a half, and her contract was coming to an end and she could no longer keep extending it. So she invited me to hit the road with her. And I was like, well, mm. I'm not making any money <laughs> on hard money lender anymore. And I just got this remote job. So you and I were talking before the show that I lived in the Bay Area for a little bit. And it was on that stint with ah, her. So I spent a few I months see. in the Bay Area. Where else but, did you go? Well, we started in Las Cruces, New Mexico, which I was not excited about at all when I first found out that that was going to be uh-huh. our first stop. And then I ended yeah. up really enjoying it. We did a lot of hiking. We were there in the fall and winter, which is a lovely time to be in Las Cruces. This desert in the summer, it's very, very hot. But in the fall and winter, it's actually quite pleasant. Very sunny. It was actually fun. We spent some time in Wisconsin, where my girlfriend mm-hmm. was from. Spent some time in the Bay Area. Spent some time in the Central Valley in California. Mm-hmm. Spent some time in the Front Range of Colorado, right outside of Boulder. It was a fun time. And so as you were going to all these different places, did you still have those 12 properties and were you managing them from afar? Did you have a property manager? I did have those properties. I hired a property manager. So here's one of the other hidden costs of buying lower end rental properties is that good property managers don't want to touch (laughs) them because they're way more work and they're way less money, right? Because property managers get paid as a percentage of the rent. Right. Mm -hmm. So- The good property managers don't touch those properties, which means that you're left with really the dregs of property Mm -hmm. management. So again, hidden costs that don't show up on paper when you buy lower end rental properties, but that are very real (laughs) with your bottom line. Yeah. It's part of earning your stripes. Yeah. (laughs) I've experienced that too. It's tough. And so at the time, were you thinking like, oh my gosh, I can't find a good property manager. This is too much work. Like I'm ready to sell. Or was it not a good time to sell? Or 
Like, oh, it was a terrible time to sell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is like 2009, 2010. Oh, yeah. And you had bought in like 2005, 2006? Two, or worse than that, like 2006, early 2008. So, I mean, like okay, the peak okay. of the yeah. market, mm-hmm. the worst time in human history yep. to buy real estate. <laughs> so, here you were, you were traveling around. Sounds like you had some different priorities in your life. And so, <laughs> what did you end up doing? Well, that girlfriend and I broke up eventually. A lot of people have that one really big relationship in their mid and late 20s where they think they're going to get married, they might get married, and then they don't. That was that ex-girlfriend for me. Anyway. Just as a side note, I'm curious what she thought about the rentals. Was she like into that at all? Or was she just like, oh, that's just some silly thing that Brian's doing? She was not that interested. I think she may have been more interested if I had had more positive experiences with it or Uh, more positive things to say. I don't know how that might have gone differently. If I had been like, this is great. Look at all this passive income every month. Like ears might've perked up some. Right. Instead of being stressed out about it and like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. But even if everything had gone well, I don't think she would have been that interested. That was never really her scene. She was a nurse. She likes people. She works well with people, likes cooking, likes gardening. She was never really into finance. So I don't think that ever would have been her scene. But it certainly wasn't her scene (laughs) watching me complain about it every night. Yeah. But it sounds like you learned so much, learned a ton of lessons along the way. And so ultimately, what did you do with the properties? And then how did you move on from there? Yeah. So I moved back to Baltimore, bought a few more properties there and met my current wife. And traveling around the country with my ex-girlfriend really gave me some wanderlust. I mean, I had always been interested in travel, but that really sparked a passion for travel for me. And my girlfriend at the time, now wife, saw that and she is in education and she reached out to another friend of ours who was an international teacher who teaches at international schools around the world and asked her how she got into that. And then my wife started, she joined a recruiting firm for international educators. Cool. And this was actually kind of a surprise for me that she did that. So she broke the news to me. She invited me to this big conference or job fair to apply to schools around the world. So we went up there and got a bunch of job offers from all over the world. And yeah, so we ended up Deciding on one in Abu Dhabi. No way. Wow. From Baltimore to Abu Dhabi. That. Yeah. It's usually a two-year initial contract for international Mm -hmm. educators. We thought we were just going to have a little two-year stint overseas, a little adventure, and then come back to Baltimore. I owned my own home at that point, and I just left it furnished and rented it out furnished, planning to move back into that house after two years. But we ended up falling in love with the expat lifestyle. Spent four years in Abu Dhabi. Then we went to Brasilia, the capital of Brazil. We just moved to Peru. Back to real estate. I ended up liquidating all of those properties Mm -hmm. as an expat. I had too many bad experiences with property managers, with tenants. A lot of most of those properties were lower end properties, like we already discussed. And it was just too much, too many headaches on every front and not enough cash flow. That's what we already covered. Indeed. So, yeah, liquidated that. I no longer own any properties directly. I only invest passively at this point in real estate. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that because I think a lot of people, myself included, when I was investing primarily in rental properties, I had no clue that there was a way to invest passively. I would have loved to do that, but I didn't even know that existed. So how did you discover that? And how did you get to a point where you were like, oh, I'm going to try this or I'm going to grow my portfolio this way instead? We'll get back to our conversation with Brian in just a minute. 
Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now back to our chat with Brian Davis. Yeah, well, <laughs> like you, I wish that I had known about passive yeah, investing right? <laughs> yeah. back in the day. It was a little harder, I think, to invest passively in real estate syndications in the aughts. And the sense that I've gotten, not that I was investing in it back then, but the sense that I've gotten is that it's really gotten a lot easier over the last decade mm -hmm. to do it. Yeah. So the way I actually discovered passive real estate syndications was on a podcast interview like this. I was on mm -hmm. Sam Wilson's podcast, How to Scale Commercial Real Estate. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to listen to a few episodes before appearing on his show. And most of the people that he interviews are syndicators. So I was like, this is fascinating how people are doing this. I was like, how do I get into this? So I started talking to Sam after our interview about how he invests because he is a co-sponsor on some deals. He helps really with more of the fundraising side of things. And he was like, hey, I'll send you some of the deals that, that we're doing. We're in the middle of a deal right now. And I was like, oh, this is fascinating. I want in. <laughs> yeah. So that ended up being one of the more unique deals I've done to this day. He was doing more outdoor recreation syndication. Yeah. So it was an, a campground, an RV park and marina in the Ozark Lakes. Yes. And it's turned out to be a great deal, by the way. <laughs> it turned out to be a great oh, syndication good. deal. Yeah, I know, right? Thank God. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, so that was my introduction to passive real estate syndications. Wow. Yeah. I had forgotten about that connection with Sam. I've known Sam for years back when he used to invest in parking lots. And he used yeah. to fly to different markets and he would rent a bike and bike around to all the parking lots. But yeah, the journey of syndication is so fascinating how it's grown so quickly. It's spread like wildfire over the last decade, as you mentioned. And I think it's really because people have such a hunger for this style of investing in real estate because 
for so long, I think real estate, while it was like people knew on an intellectual level, like this is how I build real wealth and people wanted to get into it, but there was such a high, a steep learning curve to get into it. And you needed a lot of your, a decent amount of capital to get your foot in the door and you had to have time to learn it. You have to learn things along the way, like don't invest in these lower end markets and you can't find a good property manager. Those are things that it takes time to learn, right? But then if you can really invest alongside somebody who's already earned their stripes, who already has that experience, then you can really truncate that time and speed things up. And so it sounds like you had a great first experience. And so you dipped your toes in the water investing with Sam. And so at that point, were you like, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to do this for myself. Or were you thinking like, I'm just going to keep investing with Sam and with other people? So what happened from there with our business at Spark Rental, one of the things that we do is we sell a course on real estate investing and reaching financial independence with real estate. And we discovered that our students and non-students, or just other audience members, what a lot of them wanted more than the education was participating in some of these deals, but in a fractional way, right? It's funny, the expression about teaching a man to fish and feeding him Mm -hmm. for life. Well, what we discovered is that most people don't actually really want to learn how to fish. What they really want is just to be handed the fish. So so true. Yeah. So we kept hearing this feedback from students and audience members. And we were like, what if we tried offering them to some real estate deals? What if we tried putting together a couple of deals and letting them participate as partners with us? So we tried this with a couple single family rental properties. We partnered with an investor, a boots on the ground guy in Michigan. And we did two deals with him and they went all right. One of them overperformed and the other one slightly underperformed, but still had a positive return. I think we were on something like a 47% on one deal with him and then like a 7% annualized return on the other one. But he was kind of difficult to work with and it was just a lot of work and headaches and not a lot of money, right? I mean, there was no money in it. You're doing the fishing and somebody else is telling you how you should be fishing. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like backseat fishing. (laughs) Well, right. We couldn't even charge any money for it because otherwise we'd be selling securities, right? right? So we were just offering this as a service with our students and as a free pilot program with some of our Mm -hmm. audience members just to see if people were interested. So my partner, Denny, and I are sitting around and we're like, there's been a lot of interest on this among our audience members. People really like the idea, but this is way too much work and too little money for us. And I had just done this deal with Sam while we're, I'm having this conversation with Denny. I was like, well, what if we did passive real estate investments? And my partner, hadn't, she wasn't familiar with those. So we educated ourselves on them. And the more we learned, it looked promising. So we did a pilot deal, a pilot real estate syndication deal with our real estate investment club. And we had good turnout for it, good participation. There was a lot of interest. We got a lot of good feedback on it. So we're like, all right, let's launch this. Let's scale this up. So we did. We launched a real estate investment club where people can invest five grand or more in these syndication projects, purely optionally. No one has to invest in any of these deals, of course. And again, we're still not selling securities. We don't get a cut of any of that. We just charge a flat membership for these. And then of course, we invest our own personal money in these deals too, to really keep our interests aligned with our members. But that's really how I scaled up my passive real estate investments as part of this club. And selfishly, it lets me spread my money among a whole bunch of these deals. Every month I get to invest in a new deal with five or 10 grand 
instead of having to plug 50 grand, 100 grand into each deal, which I mean, you run out of money really quickly <laughs> when you yep. have to put oh, so I much know. in each deal. <laughs> I know. So tell us more about that model because I'm sure the listeners' ears are perking up when they hear that you can invest for just 5,000. So tell us how you've structured it to make that possible. Yeah. So we create a new LLC for each deal. We open a new bank account for that LLC. We use a platform called TribeVest just to handle the technical aspects of this. So everyone has a, a login. They can log in and view the banking information in real time, You know the transaction history for the bank account in real time, can view the cap table. And everyone's ownership in the LLC is proportional to their investment amount. Any major decisions we vote on, but because these are passive investments, there really aren't any <laughs> decisions for the most part. So yeah, it's a great model. We have to be careful not to cross that line into selling securities, right? So we're very careful that we don't get a cent other than our flat membership fee for our investment club. And we don't have any extra control over things than the members in each LLC. We all vote on decisions. And TribeVest actually has a voting function as well, just to make that easy and to keep a record of all of it. So yeah, it's a relatively simple model. It's just one that no one else is doing. In some ways, it's a blue ocean, like there's no one else doing it. But on the other hand, most people have never heard of real estate syndications either. So right. <laughs> we have to do a lot of educating our audience members. Yeah. What is a real estate syndication? How does it work? What are the pros? What are the cons? What are the risks? So yeah, uh, it's a lot of work, which is one of the reasons why yeah. no one else is really doing it. So to date, I wouldn't say that the profits have justified the work in it, but it's one of those things that can scale up, right? Because mm -hmm. each yeah. time we add a member, that's another monthly yep. or annual membership fee. So it's an extremely scalable model. And the more members that we have and the more that we're investing in each deal, the more we can negotiate with sponsors for better yes. returns right? Exactly. than the typical investor is getting. So we're not at that point yet, but at a certain point, we'll be able to negotiate a better preferred return, right? maybe a better equity split on profits. Mm -hmm. So it's an infinitely scalable model, even if it's not making us all millionaires overnight right now, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's so smart how you've built and scaled this because you didn't start with this in mind. You started no. with education in mind and you were really trying to take your experience to help other people learn how to fish. And along the way, you discovered, hey, there's a way that I can hand them a fish, so to speak. And you said, okay, well, let's build the vehicle so that they can do that. So that if they decide they don't want to go and learn how to fish and do it themselves, they can have this other avenue to do it with us because they now trust you. And so they're able to do it alongside you. And you've created this brilliant ecosystem, it sounds like, where people can learn. They don't want to do it themselves. They can still reach that end goal without having to do all that work. And the community that you've created, it sounds amazing where people, they lean on each other for that insight and that advice and that education. And it really does sound like a club where you feel like you're part of something that's bigger than yourself. And the best part is you're kind of not just leading and spearheading, but you're learning alongside everybody else as well. And as you said, you're going to get to this tipping point where you're going to be able to negotiate higher splits and better returns for your investors. So it's really just, it's a win-win all around. Yeah. It's funny. People underestimate the value of that community component with this because 
I mean, we truly vet every deal as a club. So many of the questions that our members come up with to ask sponsors would never have occurred to me or to my co-founder, Denny. So we vet deals better because we're vetting them as a group, as a club. And we end up with people within the club that often have specialized knowledge that's useful. So for example, we were vetting a deal a few months ago, a deal outside of Dallas. I've never been to Dallas. I don't know anything about Dallas. She lived five minutes down the road from this apartment complex that Uh, we were vetting. So she was able to tell us all about the rental demand in that area. And she Mm -hmm. was like, there's actually, there's not nearly enough housing at this caliber in the area. There's Mm -hmm. just not enough housing to meet the demand. And she said, this is an apartment complex in a great location. And she basically said, we got to do this. (laughs) Oh my um, gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Or she could have said the other, the opposite though, right? She could have said, right. Guys, this looks great on a map, but it's actually a terrible location. Yeah. I mean, she didn't say that, but that would have all been equally useful information. Exactly. It's infinite returns because the greater you grow this community, the more value that each member will get out of it. Did you send her out to secret shop the property? (laughs) We didn't, but she was actually already pretty familiar with the property. Again, it was like five minutes from where she lived. Yeah, that's so great. I asked because I recently on a family vacation, I had an opportunity to secret shop one of the properties we actually own. Oh, that's great. And so that was quite a fun experience. I'd never been there before. And like undercover boss. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's exactly what I felt like. I was like undercover boss. But it turned out great. They were running the property very well and it was beautiful and very clean. So And that's something that I always tell people to do. If you've never really lived in one of these communities or you've never been to one, just go to one nearby and just go and check it out. Go as a prospective tenant and see what it's like. And especially before you invest in something like this, just walk through it and see if it's something you're interested in. I love that. (laughs) I absolutely love it. Yeah. Well, with that, I know we could talk all day because you've got so many brilliant insights and you've built such an amazing business. But before we talk about how people can get in touch with you and how they can invest alongside you and your real estate club, let's dive into the Life and Money Show Spotlight Round. I'm going to ask you three questions we ask all our guests. Are you ready, Brian? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. First question is about your life and money. So tell us one thing that you're doing to live a meaningful and intentional life by design? So I would say choosing very intentionally where we live. I don't mean our apartment, although we certainly did that too. I mean the city and country where we live. We just moved to Lima, Peru. Before that, we were in Brazil. Before that, we were in Abu Dhabi. But we got very intentional about living here, very low cost of living for a major metropolitan city, something like 11 million people here in Lima. It would be the second biggest city in the US if it were in the US. I mean, we have an apartment overlooking the Pacific. I mean, literally a balcony with an 180 oh, degree view of the Pacific Ocean on the 13th stop. floor of this building. Oh my and gosh. <laughs> our rent is 1300 bucks a month, US dollars. Oh my gosh. Oh <laughs> no, that's amazing. Yeah. And we actually don't even pay that 1300 bucks. My wife's employer pays that for us. Uh, so we try to create every aspect of our life extremely intentionally. Mm-hmm. Now, after you talked about your wife's employer paying the rent, now everybody's going to not only invest alongside you in real estate, but also go to an international education hiring fair. So There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, that's the true definition of life by design. Living that life by design is not just about financial freedom, but also 
location freedom and impact freedom and being able to do what you want, where you want, with whom you want. And it sounds like you're really living the dream and helping others to do the same. All right. Second question is about others' life and money. So share with us one life or money hack that has really helped you along your journey that you think will help the listener as well. Yeah. So it actually it ties back to what I just said a moment ago, actually, about scoring free housing. If you can mm. eliminate your housing yes. payment or at least drastically reduce it, find a way to house hack, then you can just supercharge your savings rate and you can plow a ton of money into savings and investments, which then, of course, snowball and compound and take on a life of their own. But that money needs to come from somewhere initially, right? And I think the best place for that money to come from is your housing budget. You can take all that money you would have spent on housing and put it into investments. So there are a lot of different ways to house hack. You can look them up, of course, but multifamily house hacking is the most famous one where you buy a duplex or triplex and move into one unit and rent out the others. You can also house hack with housemates. I did that with my first home that I bought, brought in a housemate, and she paid three quarters of my mortgage payment. You can do it by renting out your home on Airbnb when you're not using it. So for example, I had a cousin when she and her husband were just dating, they would have her apartment permanently listed on Airbnb. And anytime someone booked it, she would just go crash at his place. So there's all kinds of stuff like that you can do. You can create an ADU, an accessory dwelling unit, and rent that out either long-term or short-term on Airbnb or whatever. My co-founder, Denny, she and her husband were empty nesters and they weren't ready to leave their big suburban house yet, but all their kids were gone. So they brought in a foreign exchange student and the stipend from the agency covered most of their mortgage payment. Yeah. You can do all kinds of yeah. creative stuff to house hack. Yeah. And that's the key, I think, especially in the market that we're in now is that creativity and that resourcefulness. It's never about the resources. It's always about the resourcefulness. And I think if you're willing to get a little bit creative and think outside the box, it can go a long way in terms of your greater financial future and success. So I no love question. that one. That's a good one. All right. Final question is around the world. So tell us one thing that you're doing to help make the world a little bit brighter and a better place. Well, we did already cover this, so I won't spend a ton of time on it. But making real estate syndications available to the average person rather than the playgrounds of the wealthy. We sometimes describe real estate syndications as historically being like country club deals. Oh, yeah. Because they were really yeah. word of mouth deals among yes. wealthy investors, right? And even to this day, because of the SEC regulations around syndications, the people who are offering these to non-accredited investors, you know, 506B real estate syndications can't be advertised publicly. So it makes it really hard if you are a non-accredited investor, it makes it hard to find these deals in the first place because no one's allowed to advertise to you. So it's hard to find sponsors who offer 506B deals. Our club, I don't want to toot our own horn or any of that stuff, but- uh, Go for it. You're doing an amazing thing. So yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> making other people have described what we're doing as democratizing Mm-hmm. Real estate syndication investing. Yeah. It sounds a little pretentious coming out of my mouth when I say it. it sounds a lot better when someone else says it about us. Yeah. <laughs> but make it a lot easier for people to invest in these deals, both on the amount that they need to invest. You know, it's five thousand dollar minimum instead of fifty or hundred thousand. But also just finding these deals in the first place and finding syndicators who actually will work with non-accredited investors. Yeah. I mean, I hear you 100%. My mom is a non-accredited investor. So I'm always helping her to try to find places to invest her money. And even 
for me, I'm literally in the syndication business. You're a GP, yeah. I know all of the different syndicators and players. I even have trouble finding deals that are 506B that will take non-accredited investors. So even I'm having trouble. And so I can imagine somebody who's outside of the syndication world this is not something you want to just go and Google and hit the top result. This is the <laughs> last thing. That's the last thing you want to do. You want to dig and find those hidden deals that you have to know somebody where those are the real gems. But in order to do that, you have to put in that time investment. And what I love about what you're doing at Spark Rental is you're really cutting that time in half for people where they have to go and dig by themselves. They can dig as part of this community and really learn at a much faster pace. And so I know we've sparked a lot of interest on, <laughs> I'm, I'm saying... just going to keep beating that dead horse. <laughs> anyway, so I know people are going to definitely want to learn more about all that you're doing and potentially invest alongside you. So Brian, tell everybody what's the best place that they can go. Sure. Sparkrental.com. You'll see our co-investing club front and center on the menu bar. Reach out to me personally. Brian at sparkrental.com. That's my personal inbox. <laughs> you know, it'll come directly to me. You know, we're on all the social media platforms at Spark Rental. So we are very easy to reach. I mean, you can reach our, our company at support at sparkrental.com. So please don't be shy. Reach out anytime. I answer all those emails personally, individually. It's not like I have a VA answering my emails for me. So yeah, don't be a stranger. Reach out. Not yet. Someday when you're huge, you'll have yeah, that yeah. VA, a team of <laughs> VAs answering all your emails. There you Brian go. Davis founder of Spark Rental. Brian, thank you so much for being here and sharing all the amazing things that you're doing out there in the world. Annie, thank you so much for having me on. This was a blast. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of the show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations. 